Amen. So when you pray, what do you pray for? Tonight, we're continuing in our series this spring through the book of Ephesians. And this book is a personal letter written by this dude named Paul to a group of people in a city called Ephesus. And Paul began his letter in the first part of chapter one, building the foundations on the fact that you have been called by God to be a beloved son or daughter of Christ. Not because you hold it all together, not because you uh, hold your life really well, not because you never mess up, not because you don't do these certain things. You are secure in God's love for you because God chose you. And therefore, you're forever secure in God's love for you. There's nothing that can take you out. There's nothing that can add to it. You are fully 100% secure in the love of God for you. And so this is the foundation that Paul is laying for these Christians in Ephesus. And this is what the rest of the book builds on. So with that in mind, let's pick up again what Betsy just read for us in verse 15. Paul says this, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and because and, and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who dwells, who fills all in all. So point number one, we should have two big points tonight. Point number one is this, Paul is praying for us and therefore God desires for us to grow more aware of the beauty of the gospel. That's the summary of verses 15 through 23, that we would be more aware of the beauty of the gospel. The first chapter of Ephesians is pretty much split up into two halves, okay? So half number one is Paul's blessing to God for choosing us to be his, verses one through 14. And then the second half is, again, what point number one just was, Paul praying for us to fully grasp the depth of what this blessing is. In other words, verses one through 14 are Paul describing the beauty and love of God choosing you to be his son or daughter. From before the foundation of the world, God choosing you by name to belong to him. God's, or Paul's blessing God for that. He's saying, hey, Christians, Ephesians, you and me, you, uh, look how rich of a blessing and love we find in the person of Christ. He's saying, look at how much of a blessing that it, look how much God loves you. Look how much God cares for you. Look at all the ways he's blessed you. God has adopted you and he's chosen you to be his. And then in the second half, what we just read, Paul is praying that we would more deeply understand it. He's just praying that we would understand the realities of verses 1 through 14. It's one thing to maybe hear these words. It's one thing to maybe know them pretty deeply in our heads. But what this prayer in verses 15 and 23 is saying is that we would know it in our heart. A friend asked me the other day, uh, and I thought it was an awesome question. This person asked me, who are your reels people, right? Like on Instagram, like who are, the, who are like the three to four to five people that you send all your reels. I don't know if you've got reels people. I don't know if you're on Instagram, but all of us who are on Instagram have our reels people. Okay. So I had a couple people that came to mind. So I have my, I have my like funny reels people, right? Like if I see something really funny, I got my like three, four, five people that I'm like, you, 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 you get that. Okay. You, those are my funny reels people. Then I have like my more serious reels people, you know, like some faith stuff pops up on Instagram, some whatever stuff pops up. And I'm like, okay, I got these three to four people that I send those to. And then I have one corner of reels that always pops up. Yeah, I don't, you might have this, but it's kind of like the thing that always keeps showing up. 
And so my kind of like guilty pleasure reel recently has been Biscoff cheesecake reels. Very random. I don't know why it showed up. I wasn't talking about it. This is what Biscoff cheesecake looks like. Okay. Heaven-ish. So I don't know when I got my first Biscoff cookie cheesecake reel. I don't know when the first time it happened to me. But true, like literally almost every fourth or fifth reel at this point is some really aesthetic like British woman making Biscoff cheesecake. And every time I'm like, all right, I'm in, and I'll watch the whole thing. And I don't know about you. I don't know about you. I love Biscoff cookies. I love cheesecake. And so I was like, daggum, I didn't know you could make them together. And so when I saw these first videos, I was like, oh, no. And so every single Biscoff cheesecake reel that I got, I sent to Grace. Every single one. I mean, like, truly, for a span of, like, two weeks, every single cheesecake Biscoff reel that I got, I sent to Grace. And I'm not proud of that, but it's true. And every single time I sent it to her, it was because I was like working this move that's saying, one day we're going to make this, Grace. One day we're going to do it. One day we're going to be like this British lady in this reel. And so weeks go by. We don't make it. And then finally one day, uh, Keelan and I have been sitting in class for like eight hours. And I was like, dude, today's the day. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So I'm sitting there. I'm in, I'm in school. So I get on the Kroger app and I do an online pickup order um, as one does when you're in school. And so I ordered all the ingredients. It was easy. It was five ingredients. It was very easy. No bake. Super Super quick. So get all my ingredients, go to my Kroger pickup. They come put it right in my trunk. It was awesome. I get it in the car. I go home. I make it real fast. It only took like 30 minutes to make. It was awesome. And then Grace and I had no plans that night. Our plan was to eat this cheesecake. That was our plan. We were ready. We were in. It's weeks of waiting, (laughs) weeks of anticipation. And that's what it looked like. Uh, That's what it ended up looking like. Here's a picture of me eating it. I think y'all would think this is funny. That's me. Um, I don't know why Grace took that, but she took it. Um, I'm not proud that I look like that. That's just me. That's me. Now, let's say, let me tell you what, right? We in, we're, we're in bed. We're comfy. We're eating the cheesecake. I, it had been weeks of waiting. I had like two weeks of seeing this British woman make this cheesecake every day. And I was like, oh, that looks awesome. And then I finally got to get in my comfy bed, take a big bite. And it was like... God was in the room when I took that first bite, dude. You know the feeling. You've been waiting on that dessert and you take that bite. I'll tell you what. So Grace and I finished the whole thing in like two days. Okay, full nine by 13 pan deleted in like two days. Not proud of that. So it's a silly illustration. But the point is, it's one thing to watch someone on your phone make a meal, right? It's one thing to watch a reel. It looks really good on the phone. It's, it's one thing to see that and appreciate it. It's another thing to actually make it yourself and taste it, isn't it? It's one thing to actually uh, have this head knowledge about it in my head because I'm like, oh, I actually kind of know how to make it really well because I've seen 400 reels of this thing. So then actually putting the ingredients together and taking that first bite, right? So what Paul is doing here in verses 15 to 23 is saying, hey, all of this is true about you. God has chosen you from before the foundations of the, of the world to be his. That's true. He's saying no matter what anyone says about you, no matter how mean people could be to you, no matter how much you mess up, no matter how much you keep falling into that one sin you thought you'd be done with, Paul's saying you belong to Christ. And then in verses 15 through 23, Paul's saying, I hope you know it. I hope you know it. Not just that somewhere in your head, like it's just like a, a fact that you know, like you know Abraham Lincoln was president, right? But that it's something that is the truest, most real part of your identity, that you would taste it. You see what Paul says in verses 16 through 19? He says this, 
I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. Paul says, I don't cease to pray for you that by the Holy Spirit you would have the eyes of your hearts enlightened, in other words, opened, that you would know the hope of the gospel. He's saying, I don't just hope that you read your Bible every day. I don't pray that you get your acts together. I don't pray that you get that religious checklist done and then you feel great about yourself. He says, I pray that you know the gospel. And he prays for three specific things that we would know. Number one, that we would know the hope of our calling. Number two, know the glorious inheritance of the saints or you and me, the inheritance that's coming for us. And then number three, to know the immeasurable greatness of his power. That's what Paul's praying for you and for me to know. And that word know there isn't just head knowledge. It's like a deep gut level knowing that it's the most true part of you. These th- three things Paul is praying and pleading to God for us to know deeply are our entire experience as Christians. Right? When he says our calling, it's talking about from eternity past to eternity future, that he has called us from here to here. And then he's promising that when we die, we'll go be with him in glory and receive an inheritance that is beyond our wildest dreams being with him in glory. And then lastly, he says that he's praying that God would give us power in the day-to-day because we can't hold it all together. So he's saying, hey, I'm praying for your entire Christian experience to be enveloped by the love of God. It's pretty amazing. It's good to pray for other things, right? It's, it's good to pray for your stress about school. It's good to pray for your loneliness that maybe you're feeling. It's good to pray when you don't make that team. It's good to pray when a family member is sick. These are, these are good things to pray for. But what Paul is doing here is praying for the most foundational part of you, like the core of your core, that your eyes and heart would more increasingly open to the beauty of Jesus. That's Paul's prayer here. And what a profound thing to pray. Because he's writing to people and praying for people who are already Christians, right? He's not praying to non-believers that they would know the gospel. He's praying for mature Christians who have known the gospel that they would continue knowing the gospel. Because we don't graduate, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to think that when I'm 60, I will have finished Christianity and I'll never need to remember the gospel again. That's why every Sunday night we, we preach the same message here, ultimately, that we're more broken than we originally thought, but more loved by God in Christ than we could dare to dream, because that's the engine of Christianity. That's not just the door into it. That's the engine of it. And Paul knows this, right? How easy is it to forget this? How easy is it to forget the love of God for us? How easy is it for us to know something in our heads, but kind of feel distant from it? And so we too, like Paul, need to pray for our own hearts, that we would be increasingly aware of the unbelievable grace to us in Christ. So we're actually going to do something a little different. I'm going to pray for us right now in the middle of the sermon for these very words to be true about us. So let's pray quickly together. And I even invite you now to pray for yourselves. Father, we, um, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts more deeply to the beauty of Christ. Lord, how easy it is, we confess, to forget, to find our hope, to find our foundation, to find our identity, and to find our security, Father, and so many other things. And so, Lord, we we confess to say we forget that sometimes, and so we pray, like Paul, that by the Spirit of God, you would enlighten our hearts to the hope that you've called us to. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's continue on. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I'm gonna read all of it. So let's just jump in. 
Paul says this in verse one, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of work so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So point number two, it's a simple point, but it's really profound. Is this the gospel is spiritual resurrection, not just moral improvement? This passage is so beautiful in its context, right? Because just before this, Paul is praying that we would see the beauty of our calling in Christ, and again, Paul is hammering home the gospel of how incredible it is. And Paul is explaining the whole process of your salvation, yours and mine and the Ephesians. If you want to know a comprehensive account of what the gospel is, you can just read these 10 verses. This is everything. This is the entire process of you becoming a Christian. And he begins like this. He says, you were dead. He goes from praying this glorious prayer that we would know the gospel and he immediately turns and says, and you were dead. It's a pretty sharp turn, isn't it? And it's supposed to be. And so he says, you were dead. So we think, how? He says, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So we're going to do a little Greek work because that's the language this was written in. So we're going to be scholars together. So trespasses and sin, these are the two Greek words that are written in. So let's say it together. Paroptoma, you say it. Paroptoma, good work. And then hamartia. Hamartia. So we see that trespass here is, is defined as a deviation from the right path, right? There's a right path here, and any trespass is going on the wrong path. And then any sin is, hey, there's this standard here. We've fallen short vertically in that sense, right? So what Paul is doing here is giving a description of everyone. He's not describing some really messed up person who lived a really, really broken, beat up life. He's describing every person that has ever been born since Adam. No exceptions. So what kind of death is he talking about? I think he's talking about a soul level death. What this means is that before we're made new in Christ, before the Holy Spirit of God brings us from the death to life that this passage is talking about, this is the ancient Christian belief called total depravity, which means that all of us is born dead in sin. That means you can still do good things, but it means is that our hearts are born far from the Lord. And this means that we aren't defined as sinners because we sin. We sin because we have a heart issue. That's what this passage is talking about. Paul's language is harsh here. And this kind of language isn't really accepted by our culture anymore, is it? But again, what Paul is doing here in verses 1 through 10 is painting a picture of salvation. He's saying, hey, Sam, you weren't born mostly pretty good, and then Jesus needed to give you a little extra shove. Because that's not Christianity. That's moralism. What he is saying is that, hey, Sam, you were dead in your sins, and there was nothing you could do. There was no amount of good works you could do. There was no religious checklist that could clean me from my sin There's no self-help book that would give me the 10 steps to becoming the perfect Christian person. He's saying, hey, there's a soul level issue that no amount of good works can save. Death to life doesn't come through a checklist of morality. Death to life comes through resurrection from the Holy Spirit. So understand the idea that our souls are dead from birth apart from Christ is actually the pathway to freedom. Because if you think that Christianity is a checklist of you getting better and better over time, you're going to exhaust yourself. 
But if you believe that Christianity is actually the death to life that it really is, then you're actually set free to live with Christ in your mess. And maybe you're here, or yeah, before that, Paul goes to these intense depths to really invite us into something that's really life for us. And so that's kind of what the invitation is tonight, to find a deeper foundation than just morality. You see what Paul says in verses four through seven? It says this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. God has by his grace in his one way initiating love brought our souls from death to life. That's the best news of all. Maybe you're here tonight and you've known Jesus for a while. Like maybe as far as you look back in your life, that's all you know at this point is I know Jesus. The invitation tonight and my prayer for you tonight, if that's you, is that just like Paul prays, that you would know more deeply the treasure of grace in Christ. That's it. Maybe you're here tonight and you're a new Christian. Maybe like you just in the last couple of years have decided that you want to follow the Lord. And my prayer for you is the exact same because it's not some magic equation that you would know more deeply the treasure of Christ. And maybe you're here tonight and you aren't a Christian. Maybe you've been kind of just feeling apathetic towards the Lord. Maybe you're angry at him. Maybe you just really have never put thought to it. And maybe you feel stuck. Maybe you can't get your act together. Maybe you just keep falling into that one mess up, keep letting yourself down. And maybe in your mind, Christianity has been all about following the rules. And you thought, well, okay, Sam, I'll come in here tonight, hear that again and be exhausted. But what I think Paul wants you to hear through Ephesians is that Christ came to save broken, messy, beat up people, not the clean, put together people. The people Jesus spoke most harshly to in the gospels were the clean, religious people. People he moved towards with the most grace were the messy, the broken, and the doubting. In 2013, 11 years ago, do you know Denzel Washington? Who knows Denzel Washington? Anybody recognize that name? Actor. Really cool actor. Like, really cool guy. This is Denzel Washington in this movie called Flight. So in this movie, Denzel is a pilot of a big commercial airline. Think like Delta, like a big commercial airline. Denzel's got some mess. He's got some addiction issues. He's got some mess, but he's a really good pilot. He's a really good pilot. So the movie opens with him flying this plane, and they take off. They go really vertical really quick, and then there's this really aggressive storm that's shaking the plane really violently. And so Denzel, kind of against the will of his co-pilot, goes into full throttle above the legal speed limit of a pilot, and he just crashes through this storm. Right? He gets through, he pierces through, he makes it through. But it turns out when he did that, he actually put the plane above its stress point, and so some screws got knocked loose, ultimately. Which means that later in the flight, after they've been cruising for a long time, the plane just decides that it doesn't want to fly anymore because it, the screws came loose. So about halfway through the flight, as they're starting to descend, the plane goes into a full nosedive, hurtling at the ground at hundreds of miles an hour. So they panic. They try all the different things. They change the flaps. They empty the gas. They try to take the wheels up. They put the wheels back down. And nothing works. They are at the literal end of themselves, physically, and in every sense. They are hurtling towards death. And then Denzel gets an idea. If you've seen the movie, you know. If you haven't seen the movie, I'm sorry. He gets the idea. He looks at his co-pilot. He looks at his head, flight attendant. He says, I'm going to roll it. And they're like, huh? You're going to what? 
He says, I'm gonna roll it. So sure enough, he says, follow my lead. He takes the, he takes the handle and he just starts going to the left. And he goes to the left, he goes to the left until they're all the way upside down. Here's a, here's a picture of it upside down. I thought this was funny. <laughs> That's in the movie, just the, the plane upside down. So this movie, this, this move, crazy as it was, it works. It gets the plane level again. Like him flipping the plane upside down somehow gets them out of the nosedive. And once they get level, Denzel fires the engines up again, and he turns the wheel all the way back to the right, and they flip all the way back over to then keep cruising to land. See, in, in Ephesians 2, what, what Paul is giving us is a complete upside-down reality of salvation. And what he says is that salvation is not found within us. It's found completely outside of us. And what the upside-down movement of Christian growth looks like is not us adding a bunch of things to our life to make us better. What Christian growth looks like is actually dying to certain things and then coming to life in Christ. Before Christ, we were in a nosedive of sin and death. And then Christ came in and flipped us completely on our back and brought us to life. This is really the opposite of what a lot of us think faith is. A lot of us think faith is, hey, God, like I'm going to do all these things for you to, to prove to you that you made the right choice with me. But what Christianity really is, is I actually have a lot of mess and I don't need to add a lot of checklists of things to prove to God that I love him and actually say, God, I need your help. I need your help deeply rather than, hey, God, see how much I read my Bible. See, see how much leadership I do for FCA. See how I don't drink. So I don't party. See all these things I don't do and all I, these good things I do. Paul's saying, hey, we are raised from death to life in Christ. That's not morality. It's not moral improvement. And then the rest of our Christian life is a continual death to life movement. And that's the beauty of it. We say, hey, like I have this selfishness in me. I have this sin. I have this struggle. I have this addiction. What the scriptures would say is, hey, we, we put these things to death that we would live in Christ. And that's the offer for us tonight. Not looking inward, not looking in my own heart and saying, I need to fix it. But actually saying, I'm going to look up, see the nail pierced hands of our Savior I want to close with, um, we're about to sing this song called Before the Throne of God Above. And I was going to read this one phrase from it that I pray would be so true to you tonight. So let's just listen to these words. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's the gospel.